Welcome to the Black and Mindfully Unbothered podcast with Dion Christopher, a podcast for the culture offering a blend of news, wellness, and a slight kiki from time to time. On this episode, hear about me going back to the eighth grade and quickly finding out that things are just not what they used to be. Also, find out which Grammy award-winning artist is going after the coveted EGOT. And in today's Mindful Zone, does budgeting give you anxiety? If so, find out how mindful spending may be the better option for you. I'll cover these topics and more, so stay tuned. What's up, my people? Welcome back to another episode of the Black and Mindfully Unbothered podcast. Um, This is episode seven. Can you believe it? I am still here doing this and doing it with your support and help. So I just appreciate you jumping in, taking time to even listen to little old me. Um, Just, you know, do what I enjoy doing. So hope your week is well. My week was crazy as usual. I had a chance to go back to the eighth grade this past week. Um, I went out to a middle school to work on a story for our magazine. Um, Yes, I'm published or will be published anyway. But uh, there was a, a program taking place. And so it was all about the kickoff for this program, which is aimed at prepping eighth graders for post-secondary options. So I love the fact that we are jumping in early with our young people. In my opinion, it should be earlier than that. But maybe eighth grade is the grade that a lot of these students begin to comprehend and even dream and think more so about what life will look like after high school. So, you know, the school itself is a mostly black school. Um, I felt like I was going into Little Eastside High, but the building itself is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It was the children or the students that were off the chain. So, you know, it's it's been a while, probably over 20 something years since I've been an eighth grader. Um, and yeah, these eighth graders are completely different than anything I was at that age. Of course, we did not have access to cell phones and social media and whatnot at the rate that these students have. Um, and so I think a lot of that really makes them a little bit out of control. But the um, kickoff itself, they had a DJ there. You know, he was spinning great tunes, stuff that these kids like and can um, resonate with. A lot of the music I wasn't as familiar with, but they were getting to it, you know. And it was just a rowdy bunch of students, especially during the actual program. I thought, wow, there is no respect for <laughs> any adult standing on the stage right about now. But the funny thing about it was I was running around taking pictures and whatnot for the story that I'm working on and trying to gather some kids for a potential interview and just get their thoughts around, you know, what it is they want to do once they leave school and whatnot. So a lot of the pictures I was taking, you know, kids were throwing up signs and I'm like, hey, are these gang signs? Because I don't know, you know, I'm not familiar with this area for one and I don't know what kids are doing really. I don't follow children on TikTok to know what's trending, what's not. And so come to find out they were repping their middle school with the signs that they were throwing up. So, you know, I, I, I was able to get past that moment. But at one point I asked the kids, hey, <laughs> do y'all know how to do the wave? And so can you imagine in 2022, this 41 year old man asking them to do the wave while some beat or some song that they really really love little somebody was playing in the background and i'm in here trying to get them to do the way for a tiktok reel of my own not a good look i know another beat dropped and they just was like you know doing whatever dance that they do at this point these kids again are out of control but overall the program itself is called the gear up program and so if you know of any eighth graders i'm not sure if it just only targets eighth graders But this was for this particular school class of 2027, targeting um, the eighth graders there. And it offers so much in terms of helping them get to college. There will be college tours, of course. There will be um, assessments that allows them to really figure out what it is they want to do past high school, um, you know, and so that they go into college or wherever they go post-secondary wise, that they are on a path for that. And that's something that you know, children of color need, students of color need. It's something that I didn't have. And I really think it's because I went to a predominantly white school at the time and grew up in a predominantly white area. So those things weren't seen as necessary. 
um, those types of resources weren't readily available for um, kids like myself at the time. So I'm excited to see. It's almost like the Upper Bound program, but in middle school, if you will. Like Upper Bound, I remember going through that when I was in 10th grade and it offered so much opportunity. 10th grade is probably too late to really decide what you want to do post-secondary wise. And so, you know, again, the fact that these students are having the opportunity as early as eighth grade to figure that out is worth applauding. So good luck to those kids. I hope it works out for the, the staff involved um, because it was a whole lot just trying to get them to pay attention and, and really understand what it is they're about to receive through this program. So, um, you know, as I work on this story, I'll probably be back out there um, so some other interesting um, uh, events occur while I'm trying to work on this story. You know I'll report about it. Speaking of school, the return of the Emmy Award-winning Abbott Elementary hit this week. I was excited to see it, um, especially after them winning the Emmy Awards. It was already worth Emmys, right? So no surprise there. This season two kicked off funny as ever. Um, if you did not get to see it, sorry, spoiler alert. But the teachers return for development week. And so if you are in education, you are kind of familiar with what that week entails. It's really just when teachers return to get their classroom in order. They go over new policies, new procedures that might affect the school year. A lot of that took place um, for real, for real this year in Texas, simply because it's so many things teachers can't do now. But that was the whole premise of the episode for the most part. But, you know, it kicked off with Ava or really Janine, you know, reminiscing and now understanding that she has to live life on her own without Tyreek. And, um, you know, she she's riding the school, thinking about how great the new school year is going to be, which I'm sure thousands of teachers do this every year when they're going to that first week, development week, or um, I think some schools call it onboarding, whatever your district may call it. I'm sure there's hopes and aspirations, especially for newer teachers, like this is going to be the best year ever. And that's just what Janine pulled up thinking until she saw Ava. We know Ava, my favorite character off the show. Ava is renting out parking spaces for the Eagles tailgate. So this is the kind of nonsense that Janine is already preparing herself for as it relates to just returning back to school. So um, I'm excited to see how this season unfolds, you know, throughout that episode. Um, Janine, it was discovered that Janine was now struggling and having money issues. So I'm wondering if that's something that they're going to carry over into the season. Perhaps it looks like there's some chemistry starting to spark between her and Gregory. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Perhaps Gregory can come in and provide some of his income. You know, teachers don't make a lot at all. And um, so, you know, we'll see how this goes. I've dated a few educators um, who are broke, don't make a lot had roommates. It's a mess. So yeah, I get it. What else? Oh, wow. I've been watching a documentary called Legacy, which is the true story of the LA Lakers on Hulu. Dr. Jerry Buss has taken a big bite out of the sports scene. What Jerry Buss did in his first year owning the Lakers is incredible. The Lakers are the world champions. You're a rookie. I'm a rookie. And we won the NBA championship. <laughs> My dad, he just wanted to make his mark. When I tell you this is an incredible documentary, you don't have to be a sports fan to watch or like um, you will like it, whether you're a sports fan or not, especially if you're caught up into gossip and just how things unfold. They go through a lot of the history of the L.A. Lakers in terms of the superstars that we see um, coming and going. It is such an amazing, amazing documentary um, directed by Antoine Fuqua. Um, I hope I said that right, but we know him as the director of Training Day with Denzel and whatnot. And so I think Denzel won a an Oscar for that. Um, <clears throat> but this this documentary really focuses on Dr. Jerry Buss creating um, legacy for not just himself, but the way I see it, it, it really created legacy for the team for the players and for the city of LA really. Um, you know, without Jerry Buss stepping in and buying the Lakers back in the late 70s, 
Um, the Lakers, as we know them today, probably would not be who they are. Um, they, basketball may not even be what we know it as today in terms of the entertainment, the um, you know collaboration between music artists and just sports and whatnot. A lot of that read or started with it was birthed out of L.A. with the vision that Dr. Jerry Buss had for this team. And I don't even really know that he had vision like that, honestly. I think it was just he was kind of forced in those directions, given some of the um, situations that were occurring when it came to, you know, money, um, when it came to bringing more fans into the stadiums. How do we get there, really? And so everything was kind of like a trial and error for, for the Lakers starting off early. It really you really didn't see that he had this vision in the very beginning. So I know there's a scripted show. I think it was called Showtime that um, maybe on HBO Max. I never got to see it. So I don't know the comparison there. I don't know what they really focused on compared to this documentary. But when I tell you the documentary really goes deep in terms of, you know, I learned that if it wasn't for, for uh, Judge Wapner, you know, the People's Court judge, Jerry Buss would have never had a chance to buy the Lakers. And so they kind of detail that story a little bit for you to see. You get to see where the children of Jerry Buss, they do not get along at all. They are not fans of one another, but they all have um, a part to play in the business, the family business. And so you get to see the tension there. Um, and all of these kids, all of his children, um, from what I could tell, I think his four oldest children so far, They've all been interviewed and they sit there, you know, they're interviewed individually and they talk about the days of, you know, coming up and how tough it was on them. And just, you know, the tension that it caused between them as siblings, you know, uh, Jeannie Buss, who is now the president of the Lakers from the get go. She aspired to be on top, you know, running the team one day. And um, she really tells her story. <laughs> she had to take time to get there. You know, and throughout her story, I discovered that she once played posed for Playboy. I had no clue that she even dated Phil Jackson when he was coaching the team. So that was a whole nother um, insight for me to learn about. They, of course, go through some of the superstars. You get to see Magic Johnson as a rookie, how he came about on the team. I learned he was like really the first uh, player in the NBA to um, get a million dollar contract. That wasn't heard of before, you know, and so. Now we see, you know, these players are getting hundreds of millions, but he was one of the or the first player to get a million dollar contract. So it was just crazy to see. And and, and Young Magic, you know, we see Young Magic. We never mind. <laughs> but Young Magic was doing his thing. You know, they go through his story of contracting HIV and what that did to the team, you get to see that they had to cover that up for not just the media, but even to his own teammates for the longest. Um, you know, he kept saying he had the flu, he had the flu and he was missing games, yet he was traveling with the team. So, you know, and shaking hands with other folks and hugging them and everything else, uh, but still claiming to have the flu. So I thought that was interesting that people wanted to touch and, and hug and everything else, um, knowing this man had the flu. You know, it just went through the pandemic covid pandemic and we didn't want to touch we're told not to touch we're told not to be around each other um you know during those times and so i've always been told you know stay your ass home if you have the flu yet he was traveling um again it was a cover-up but he was traveling with the team um showing up to games but just not playing in the games at the time and then he later revealed you know that he had contracted hiv and so even watching that part of the documentary and seeing how folks reacted to it the sadness that was in the environment, um, in that press room, you know, you get to see the press room itself or the room that they held the press conference in. Um, I've only seen, you know, still photos and just the videos from the camera shot angle looking directly at Magic during that announcement. And so to see how packed that room was and the sadness in that room, it, it's a lot to take in, you know, because they really thought, um, as they said in the documentary, no one knew that HIV was the virus that caused AIDS. They just uh, automatically assumed that it was AIDS and they felt like they were looking at someone dealing with mortality right then and there who didn't have a lot of time left. We know 30 plus years later that magic is still with us thanks to the advancement in medicines and whatnot. And so, you know, it was just an interesting 
interesting moment. Um, what I also thought was interesting was the look on Cookie's face. Like when he was announcing this, she was sitting on the stage next to Dr. Jerry Buss, the owner of the Lakers. She was sitting on that stage and just this look she gave. I don't know. You know, I I don't want to talk bad about it, but I did take a picture of it because it will make a good gift, I believe. So um, <laughs> just again, discovering that at one point, Dr. Buss wanted to buy the Dallas Cowboys. Imagine what that would have looked like. But that deal fell through because, you know, it leaked out to the to the conservative press in Dallas that Dr. Jerry Buss, who is this playboy, you know, he, he goes to the Playboy Mansion. He he does a lot of things that the conservative conservative crowd is not necessarily a fan of. And so when it leaked out, um, the conservative folks in the Dallas area, they protested against that. They did not want that man buying the Cowboys. And so here we are where Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys over Dr. Jerry Buss. Again, a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. They take you through, like I said, from the years that Dr. Jerry Buss started owning the team all the way up until, I believe, the LeBron James era. Um, I thought the, well, from what I understand, this documentary aired, started airing in late August. Apparently it airs a episode weekly, maybe. I don't know, but I caught it when it was already up to episode seven. So episode eight actually comes out tonight. So I'll get to see how it concludes and see, you know, how it unfolds. The episode seven, that's really the one that they focus on Kobe a lot. And I hated the fact that it was because there are a lot of interviews throughout this documentary with former players. And, you know, that Kobe era was a lot of tension between him and Shaq um, that we already knew about. But we get a little bit more insight listening and, and watching this documentary, listening to the people or the players, the former players um, discuss what it was like to play on that team. And it just felt, I guess, weird. I don't know if weird is the right word, but I just felt like something was missing. And obviously the something was Kobe Bryant. He didn't have a chance to be a part of this documentary, obviously. Um, and so to hear his side and hear how it might have been said so many years after it took place, hearing what he thinks about it now, I would have appreciated that. A lot of it felt I don't want to say people were bashing Kobe Bryant, but it felt like there was someone who needed to come to Kobe's defense, given his dream to just lead the L.A. Lakers and do it without Shaq. They were total opposites. Shaq is more playful, where Kobe, from the onset, was serious about the game of basketball. He wanted to be like Michael Jordan, and so he did everything to make sure that that took place and it's revealed that you know he wanted to lead the team without a big man just like michael jordan led his teams to championships without a big man and so that eventually led to shaq being traded to i think he ended up going to miami at the time you know so um you know it's just again a phenomenal phenomenal documentary you don't have to be a sports fan to watch it but if you like gossip you like pop culture you like um reminiscing and learning things then this is certainly a documentary you don't want to miss Woo, that was a lot <laughs> i feel like so i need to take a quick break but after the break i'll cover some of the news for you so be sure to stay tuned Good news, bad news, or even indifferent. These are just some of the stories making headlines, so let's get into it. All right, so welcome back. Earlier this week, we saw black Twitter rally around actress Nia Long as we discovered her boyfriend. Is it her boyfriend? Is it her fiance? We know it's not her husband, but Boston head coach Ime Udoka, he has cheated on Nia. He has dropped the bag. Once again, we see another man, black man, dropping the bag on these beautiful women. I don't know what it is. Um, you know, it, it's quite sad. We learned that he had an affair with the team travel agent. So I don't know if that's the proper term. But yeah, he decided to cheat on Nia Long 
with the woman that arranges to travel for the team. And come to find out, this woman has actually arranged travel for Nia back and forth to some of the Boston games, um, whether they're in Boston or on the road. And so can you imagine how I, I, I can't even begin to explain or wonder how a person in the travel agent's position could really just go throughout her day, um, you know, just go throughout life knowing that she was cheating on this man or cheating, helping this man cheat on his his girlfriend um, have this affair, yet making arrangements for her to get across the country. So it was quite easy now that I think about it. She played a, a part in making sure that she didn't get caught, it sounds like, because she had complete control over the different travel arrangements for both the team, for the coach, and for Nia. Uh, it comes to find out she just helped Nia and her son move across the country from L.A., I'm sure, um, to, you know, be on the East Coast permanently, especially as we go into basketball season. So I just pray and hope that um, things work out well for Nia um, and and Ime, if that's what she desires. Ime was suspended um, for one whole year, so we will not see him coaching. And from what I understand, his return is pending and I don't know what it's pending, but his return for the 23-24 season will be pending, um, I guess, his behavior, the things that they find out. Perhaps there will be an investigation to make sure that this wasn't something that was taking place with multiple employees. Because at the end of the day, this is an employee-on-employee relationship within the Boston um, Celtics organization. And so I'm sure there's rules around fraternizing and how that looks especially when you're dealing with a coach and maybe a staff member, um, just some things that you just think ethically should not take place, right? But again, the money, the power, the access that these folks in the NBA have, you just really get to see how they use and abuse their privileges for the most part when it comes to something like this. So Sneaky Link travel agent chick, um, we don't know her name yet. I'm sure once Black Twitter finds out, um, maybe Black Twitter does know her name. I just haven't followed up on that. But um, I'm sure they will drag her through all the four-leaf clovers and whatever else, the Boston bean juice. They will drag her until she cannot be drugged anymore for this type of um, behavior. But we have to also look at the behavior of the coach. He should know better as well um, that you just you just don't do you just don't operate in this type of manner so again nia good luck to you for years it was the most talked about podcast on the planet do you listen to cereal oh yes yes yeah yeah for sure yes listen all the way through global tell link prepaid call from an inmate at the maryland correctional facility the first true crime podcast sensation. The most incriminating piece of physical evidence against Adnan Syed was a fingerprint. The release of Adnan Syed happened earlier this week. And um, if you did not know, this was a big deal. I want to say in 2015, when the podcast itself came out, serial podcast came out. And that was sort of the beginning of these true crime podcasts that were happening um, it was actually the very first podcast I had ever listened to. Um, I knew podcasts existed, but I didn't really pay attention to them like that. And so someone put me onto it saying, you've got to hear this story. It was gripping. Like it felt like you wanted to watch the TV series right then and there, just listening to the stories, how it unfolded, the interview process, it kept you engaged. And if I recall, they released episodes weekly. So you were desperately clinging for the following week to hurry up and get here so you could listen to how it would unfold. No one knew at the time whether or not um, Adnan maybe was going to be released. If he, you know, what what was occurring, no one knew as we got towards the end of that podcast series because it was still an ongoing case there. He was still going to court then and there. So if you're not familiar with um, the entire story. Syed, he actually served 23 years of life, um, of a life sentence for strangling his 
18 year old girlfriend at the time her name was uh hey Heyman Heyman Lee um and so they were both 19 or 17 I believe at the time this took place in the Baltimore area so that was really one of those situations where you know her body was found I believe in a woodsy area and so all of a sudden there was some scare there knowing that this 17 year old girl's body was found could there be a mask murder or a, a serial killer out there somewhere um even though i believe she was the only death at the time i can't really remember um exactly how the podcast spend it but several years later of course after the podcast other um, stories came about i believe i saw a documentary on hbo maybe that um really went back and looked into all of some of the evidence this was a case that kept going back and forth to prove um the innocence of Adnan. He was very, very, very adamant that he did not commit this crime. There were actually other folks involved in the interview process that went to court and told the judge that, you know, he couldn't have been there because he was, you know, elsewhere at the time that she was murdered. It was just a lot of, lot of craziness wrapped up in this case. And so, um, you know, unfortunately, Adnan ended up spending all of that time in jail, having appeals back and forth had horrible lawyers, you know, his very first lawyer, if I recall, she wasn't really on the case the way she needed to be. I believe she was a public defender, um, if I recall, but she ended up passing away, discovered that she lied on the stand, I believe, or within in the trial itself that she was uh, at the time that he was on trial, I believe she told some lies. So it's just a lot of stuff back and forth that affected him to the point that, you know, it forced him to spend the last 23 years in jail so he was released today is sunday he was released a week ago tomorrow um after serving those 23 years the thing about it is he may not be out for good you know um from what i saw there's a 30 days there there will be 30 days to decide whether or not they will try him again or just drop the charges fully and so i'm hoping that this go around that they really just go ahead and drop the charges fully it seems like some other evidence came up that may prove he certainly was not the uh, murderer of Haley Min and um, or Heyman Lee, I'm sorry. Um, and, and there's even evidence that they may have some some other suspects for this particular uh, murder. So at nine, I saw a video of him coming back home, returning home after 23 years. And just, you know, I can't even imagine the life that he's about to catch up on. You know, this happened in 1999. I graduated from high school in 1999 to think, you know, 23 years later, all of the things that I've gotten a chance to be involved in, be a part of experience that man set in jail for something that he didn't do at the end of the day. And all the evidence points to him not killing that girl. So hopefully, hopefully he um, is able to, you know, move forward in life. Um, I know him being a Muslim man, he probably held on to those Muslim uh, practices on a daily basis while incarcerated and so um, he looked happy I guess I don't know if happy is the right word that anyone should think of uh, well no you you are happy to be out of jail right but he 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 almost looked at peace in some senses um, and I think part of that is again his Muslim faith he knows that he did not commit that crime and he can live with that. As a matter of fact, I feel like he said that in an interview at one point when I watched the HBO documentary regarding this case. So hopefully Adnan gets to stay out of prison this go around. Mariah Carey, you know I love Mimi. She is finally releasing her grunge album. So um, if you got a chance to read her memoir or listen to it, maybe on Audible like I did, The Meaning of Mariah Carey. She talked about the fact that she once wrote and produced um, a, a alternative rock album, you know, back in the 90s. And so if you grew up in the 90s, you probably became a fan of some of those alt rock uh, artists. You know, I still listen to Alanis Morissette to this day. I loved Counting Crows, um, you know, the Foo Fighters, Green Day, all of those individuals. So imagine the songstress Mariah Carey. Um, putting out or, or even going into the studio to record an alternative rock album. You know, I'm trying to imagine what that is going to sound like. 
And so she is going to release that album at some point, I believe, before the end of this year. It took her a long time, as she claims in the uh, the memoir. She didn't know where the album was. She couldn't find it. So uh, apparently it has been unearthed. And, you know, like anything else, people want to hear it. They want to grasp it, get a feel for it. And so she'll have an opportunity to put that out and make a little coin. Um, but in addition to that, she just recently re released the 25th anniversary of um, Butterfly. Can't believe Butterfly is 25 years old at this point. I remember being in the 11th grade. Um, so damn, 11th grade was 25 years ago. Um, but I remember sitting in chemistry class talking about the Honey video and just how um, amazing it was. I believe that's when it was solidified for me that Mariah is my favorite when I saw that Honey video because it was stepping out of, you know, something she had been doing. The beat itself just, it was it was more brilliant than anything I had heard from Mariah Carey um, prior to. So I just loved, loved Honey when I first saw it. I loved the video in which I loved the album. I ran out and bought the actual album CD at the time, of course, and I still have it to this day. So um, yeah, she is back in the studio as well. So she'll be releasing a new album. Um, they're saying that it's a themed album, so we'll see how that goes. And she's also going to re-record the number one hit single. This was like the single of the decade, I remember, um, We Belong Together. In, in 2010, I believe, it was considered the um, song of the decade. And so, don't know how many artists get the privilege of, of having such success with one song, um, but it really became the song of the decade for her, and to this day, still goes hard obviously and so we'll get to see um get to see the re-release or hear the re-recording re re of uh that we belong together track finally she's also supposed to be working on a new documentary so we'll see what that entails we've seen a lot of artists janet um who else just so many artists here lately coming out with their own documentary and being able to tell their story um, because again, just like we witnessed with the LA Lakers, there's a lot to be told when it comes to what we don't know, what we did not see, what took place in the background. And so I'll be excited to see the documentary and maybe hear a little bit more of some of the stories that came out of, came out of her memoir, that particular story about her escaping with the brat to go get some French fries, you know, <laughs> um, that, that needs to be told. I'd like to see this turn into a movie at some point, really getting to see the movie of Mariah Carey. Like, who would play Mariah Carey, I wonder? I don't, I don't the first person that comes to mind is Zendaya, but I don't know that, I, I think I just said that because they have similar skin tone. I know Zendaya was up to play Aaliyah at one point, so who knows? I'm sure somebody out there, uh, Ariana Grande, she, she'd love that opportunity, I'm sure, to play Mariah Carey, but we'll look forward to the documentary first and then see you know what comes after that. What else do we have? Um, Zaya Wade, the stepdaughter of Gabrielle Union, the daughter of uh, former Heat player Dwayne Wade. She just did a campaign for Tiffany and Company. So, you know, she is out here doing the thing. She reveals a whole new hairstyle in this uh, campaign. And so we actually get to see. Um, it, it really brings her face out, I think. You know, she had short hair before. Um, and so, you know, you were attracted to or you were forced to look at her face a little bit more. But um, just in this campaign, it's really a, a I wouldn't say a headshot, but it is you're drawn into her eyes, into her face, into the new hair. And she's basically just wearing a gold bracelet, it looks like, um, from the Tiffany Company, Tiffany and Company. So. You know, look out for her um, to see exactly how this will unfold. Maybe she's one of the new faces of Tiffany. We've seen Beyonce here lately um, doing campaigns for Tiffany. And so maybe Tiffany has recognized that having people of color in their product sales or in their product marketing can overall benefit them. Um, Zaya, she, you know, kept it classy. She just basically wore a classic black T-shirt. And um, again, the stunning accessory that she had on the 18 gold bangle was from Tiffany's new collection called the um, Tiffany Lock Collection. So check that out. You can find it on Instagram if that's something you want to see. Shout out to you, Zaya Wade. 
for all you do. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, where were we? Robert Glasper, oh, yeah. No, no, How long nigga. are you here, Robert? Was this the child support tour, nigga, what's wrong? I saw how many dates he had. I was like, what the fuck? Let me tell you how great Robert Glasper is. How great is he, Dave? I have a show that started 10 minutes ago. Robert Glasper, Grammy Award-winning artist. He is returning to the Blue Note Jazz Lounge for his annual Robtoberfest. Um, this is exciting. I had a chance to go last year up in New York and see him perform. You never know who you're going to get at the um, Robtober or the Glasper Experience, whatever he's calling it. You never know who's going to be there. And so you just heard a clip from... Uh, I, damn, I can't think of their names all of a sudden. David Chappelle and Chris Rock. Um, you know, they were there. This was last year when I was there. I didn't get to see them at my episode, at my show, but this clip came from the 2021 version. So, um, you know, just knowing that it, it was something to experience. Let me say that. The Blue Note Jazz Lounge is one that has seen so many, many greats come through. And to sit in that same space, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine what the space was like because I just, yeah, I couldn't fathom until I got there. And so it's not big at all. It's just what it sounds like, a jazz lounge. Um, I believe it's over in Brooklyn, maybe. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it sits kind of like just down a street with a bunch of other bars. And, you know, it's it just sits where it sits it's not anything standing alone like well new york you know how condensed new york is and 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 you know things are on top of each other and so that's just how the blue note jazz lounge is it's very it it, it feels historic when you walk in um you know i'm sure they have modernized the inside over decades of being there but you know the bathrooms are still upstairs you have to walk up the stairs i don't believe there were elevators so it's not ada compliant at all um, you know, and the bathrooms felt like an old church basement to me. Um, but the food was amazing. The environment was amazing. It's very intimate. I sat pretty much at the table right next to the stage. So like the side of the stage I was on is actually where Robert Glasper was playing his uh, piano and whatnot. And so, you know, it wasn't your typical um, informal or formal, I should say, crowd it was very informal where we could shout out and just say stuff and robert he reacted the band reacted my show included Bilal, so Bilal was the vocalist that night um and so if you know Bilal's voice um Bilal has an amazing voice and to hear it carry in such a small environment um and intimate environment was amazing i went last october um halloween weekend and so it was already an amazing feel in New York, you know, I think that was their first Halloween parade since COVID. And so people were out ready, excited. And um, the Glasper experience was no different. People were out ready and excited to witness that because that was the first time since 2019 that he was able to do that all over again. So if you get a chance, check it out. I'm sure you can go on to any of his social media or just Google the Robert Glasper experience or even just Google the Blue Note Jazz Lounge to find out more. It is something I wouldn't mind going to annually, but as of now, I do not have plans to go to this year. So we'll see if you get to go. Let me know. There are clips on YouTube that you can always go back and see and check it out for yourself to see if it's something that you think you would be interested in. Even if you're not a fan of um, jazz music, um, Robert's music is one that transcends. Um, so you get this nice crossover into some of hip hop, into some of R&B. You know, he's done a lot of work with everybody that you can name, you know, Erica Badu, Alex Isley, um, you know, Jill Scott, Brandy. Check out some of his own work, you know. Um, it, it's He's an amazing, amazing artist. What else? Somebody who has worked with Robert Glasper. Common, he is set to make his Broadway debut 
in what is described as what is what are they describing this as i believe it's a dark comedy and let's see if i can get this right it's called between riverside and crazy so um look out for that you know this will probably be common's attempt to finally get the egot and so i believe he is just one shy one award shy from getting that and that would be the tony and so, you know, he's got the Emmy, he's got the Grammy, he's got the Oscar, but he's now after that Tony Award. And so um, we'll see again between Riverside and Crazy is a dark comedy that follows the recently paroled junior and his ex cop and a recent widow old father, father, Walter Pops Washington. And so it says Pops is trying to hold on to his apartment, one of the last rent stabilized apartments on Riverside Drive. And they must contend with City Hall, the landlord, old wounds, and sketchy neighbors as they realize that the old days are behind them. So it sounds like some gentrification is taking place in this this play. Um, you know, again, check this out. We'll, we'd, we'd love to see Common get that Tony Award and, you know, become artists, I guess, number what? I don't know how many artists are out there. Somebody just won an EGOT. Who was that? I can't remember. But she was probably like the 27th person to win it. Was it Jennifer Hudson? I think it was Jennifer Hudson, yeah. Um, so less than 30 people, I believe, have have made have had this accomplishment. And so it'd be great to see Common pull this off, um, especially as a hip-hop artist. I don't know that any hip-hop artist has pulled this off. So we'll see. Finally in your news, just in time for cuffing season. Syphilis cases are at the highest level that they have been at since 1948. So, folks, be careful out there. I'm reading saying that, you know, the infection rates of some of the STDs, including gonorrhea and syphilis, have been rising for years. But last year, the rate of syphilis cases reached its highest um, since 1991. And the total number of cases hit its highest since 1948. So, uh, make sure you're out there cuffing with the right person, asking all of the right questions and um, keeping yourself safe. We just got over. Well, we're not even over COVID. We're, we're now entering the realm of monkeypox and then all of a sudden syphilis shows up. So cuff and cuff well. After the break, we'll jump into our mindful zone where I'll discuss mindful spending and how it can be more beneficial than monthly budgeting. Stay tuned. So in today's Mindful Zone, I'd like to focus on mindful spending and what that really entails. I know for me, I hate budgeting. It is like the worst time of the month for me personally. I guess I would equate it to having a menstrual cycle if I had to actually sit down and budget my money and how I'm going to spend throughout the month. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying anything is wrong with budgeting. If it works for you, it works for you. But believe it or not, budgeting does not work for everyone. And there are lots of people who are financially well off by not budgeting at all. They have a system of some sort that um, may be considered budgeting, but in some practices, it may be considered mindful spending. So, that's what I want to focus on today is like how mindful spending is different from budgeting and how it could very well be more beneficial to you than actually sitting down and taking time to create a monthly budget. So what exactly is mindful spending? Um, it's really just a lifestyle based money management system. You know, it's what works for you in terms of making sure you're not overspending or even underspending in some cases yes there is such a thing as underspending right and so in short mindful spending is an awareness of how you spend money that supports your goals your values and your needs as a human being at the end of the day so for me i have a system where you know again i don't budget and so i know that i'm getting paid every month around a certain time of the month 
I begin to look at what's in my checking account, what is left after I've paid all the bills, I've paid myself in terms of my own savings, and I'm looking at what exactly is left. Am I going into the next pay cycle with a lot more money or a lot less money? And so, for instance, earlier this month, it is still September, right? Um, I traveled home. You heard me talk about traveling home. And so that included a lot of different expenses, which included boarding my dog. Um, I missed my flight. You know, I had to tow my or get my vehicle out of impound. Um, so a lot of unexpected expenses arose this last month, which, you know, I didn't necessarily plan on having. But because of my mindful spending habits, I did actually have the money to make sure that all of these things that occurred, I could take care of and without worry at the end of the day. So for me, I'm looking at the the towards the next pay cycle. Do I have a certain amount of money left over, um, you know, going into the next pay cycle at the end of the day? And so if I feel comfortable with what I have, let's say about seven days, 10 to seven days, really, or seven to 10 days going into the next pay cycle, then I know I've done pretty well in terms of my spending habits for the month without a budget, without sitting down to go through a spreadsheet of some sort or going through a ledger of some sort to deduct every expense that I've had for that month. Um, I do go, you know, I check my bank account. I won't even say on a daily basis, um, but and part of that is because I get so many notifications from my actual bank that I don't feel the need to check my bank account on a daily basis. But there are times where I will go in and see a notification that I wasn't quite aware of. And it will make me do some research to dig in and really see what this notification is about. Where is my money going? Is it something that I may have forgotten about? Did I subscribe to something that I have forgotten about recently? And all of a sudden seeing a certain amount of money come out of my account for that particular um, charge, you know, so again, you know, budgeting, if it works for you, I'm not saying try something different or maybe, you know, you are <laughs> wanting to try something different because you feel like the budgeting process is taking too long. Um, again, mindful spending might be the way to go for you. So what are some benefits of mindful spending, you might ask? Um, and I'm pulling from an article. I like to pull from sources and share those sources out. Um, and so this article is simply called What is Mindful Spending? And so mindful spending means a lifetime of less struggle and more enjoyment for your money, according to this article. If you have ever felt guilty for spending money, maybe you suffered from buyer's remorse, perhaps you struggle to make purchase decisions, or like myself, you just hate monitoring your budget, then mindful spending is definitely for you. Again, the article goes on to say that mindful spending is a long-term cure for spending problems. If you struggle with spending too much or too little, like I mentioned earlier, then yes, mindful spending is for you. Being mindful with your money is a form of conscious spending or intentional spending. And so that's how I feel about it. For the most part, I know what things I have to pay on a monthly basis, rent, car note, insurance, things of that nature. Those things are going to uh, come out of my account um, consciously, whether I have them set up on, you know, uh, charge, cons consistent charge, whatever you call the monthly, you know, deducting from your account. I don't really have a lot of things set up to just come out of my bank account because I do like to monitor um, as much as I can um, and make sure that what's supposed to come out comes out. But I don't really set up a lot of auto pay at all, um, you know, and so for those that budget. I know sometimes auto pay is the way to go for a lot of those folks because they can insure or go ahead and deduct that amount from their budget and understand what they have, you know, left to play with throughout the month. For me, that causes anxiety. If I'm going through the budgeting process early on within those first five, six, seven days of a month, and I realize I only have this much left to play with, that begins to limit myself in terms of the things that I could be doing with my money. I'm not saying that you want to go out and blow, you know, your money and spend it all on drinks and entertainment and party. But again, if things arise, then, you know, and you feel like you've already structured your budget around, you know, this set amount, and all of a sudden you have an emergency that you didn't account for, then that could become stressful for one individual that become that could become um, or cause an individual to go into a panic attack almost, because now you're thinking about, 
wow, I got a, you know, flat tire that's going to cost me 300 plus dollars to to change or get a new one. And I didn't account for that in my monthly budget. And so, again, mindful spending, things are going to arise. Things are going to happen and occur. But because I'm not out here splurging or making rash decisions with my funds, Um, and I'm spending my funds wisely, then more than likely I'm going to have what I need in terms of um, getting those emergency costs taken care of. So um, this article goes on to talk about mindful spending and how it uses your emotions to create sustainable, satisfying money management. And again, that's how I feel about it. I, I honestly didn't know that this was a real thing until I started sitting down and researching topics for this podcast. And I just wondered about mindfully budgeting mindfully um that's what i actually looked up (laughs) mindfully budgeting and it you know led me to mindful spending so budgeting typically listens to your heart once a month and has your brain set spending based on math you know so again just as i pointed out you have you know your your first seven to ten days of a month that you're writing down getting your spreadsheet together and all of that math that entails you know putting that monthly budget together It just it becomes too much. So from then until the next budget cycle begins, your spending is measured against numbers and not necessarily your lifestyle. And so that's one of the things to keep in mind when it comes to mindful spending. Um, So how is mindful spending different from budgeting, you might ask? This article talks about three main differences between mindful spending and budgeting. All three are are a result of your heart leading the charge in all your spending choices, as the article says. So um, number one, it talks about purpose. The main purpose of a budget is to control cash flow. And so, again, when it comes to mindful spending, mindful spending seeks to maximize happiness and satisfaction from all spending. And so I don't necessarily look at paying my bills as a negative because some of those bills I certainly need. I couldn't go without, you know, I couldn't go without having my electricity. Hell, these days you can't go without having your Internet service, maybe your car note, your insurance. Those are things that are very, very important to have. And that's what I keep in mind every month, you know, as my new pay cycle rolls around, the things that I must take care of, you know, other things aren't necessarily important at that point but the things that i must have the necessities in my lifestyle i make sure that they're going to be taken care of first i don't budget for partying i don't budget for entertainment if i have a trip coming up i you know um i will begin to put money aside um when i am like for instance beyonce is supposed to go on tour next summer right as soon as renaissance dropped i ended up selecting or creating a um, envelope account, if you will, in one of the banks that I have. I have multiple banks. And so one of my banks houses, you know, the majority of my funds. And that's a big name bank. Whereas the bank that I use for, you know, if I'm going out of town to travel entertainment wise, that's an internet bank, actually. Um, And so I love it because it gives me so many options in terms of how I can save funds. I can create envelopes, if you will. Uh, For those of you who have uh, read some of Dave Ramsey's work or, you know, maybe familiar with Dave Ramsey. He talks about that creating or or setting uh, envelopes aside, establishing envelopes, putting the cash that you will need for that one particular event or bill or whatever the case may be. And once that cash runs out, that's it. That's kind of what I do at my internet bank um, in terms of setting up those funds. So You know, I started setting up my Renaissance tour fund the moment Renaissance dropped because I'm like, hey, I know I want to be there. I know the seats that I enjoy when I go to a Beyonce concert. And so for me personally, I'm going to set aside this money to make sure that I am having the time that I want to have. I'm maximizing my happiness (laughs) and satisfaction um, when it comes to going to that show. And so, again, I don't know if that some of you may consider that budgeting by setting money aside. But for me, those are funds that I'm not even counting. You know, I'm not taking account for in my monthly spending. I know that, again, after I've paid my bills, I've paid myself. I've paid, you know, for my renaissance ticket over here. 
then everything else is for me to play with the way I desire. And because, again, I'm not one who spins uh, just crazy, right? You know, I'm not one who makes impulse buys at all. Um, it works for me. The system really works for me. Another different from or another mindful spending difference that uh, from budgeting would be time. The time you spend in terms of creating the budget. And I'm not saying mindful spending does not eliminate your time, but there is time given back to you because you're not sitting down actually going through a budget review on a monthly basis and looking at numbers to tell you what you can and can't do. That's the last thing I want. I hate um, technology telling me what I can and can't do. And I certainly hate my money telling me what I can and can't do. So, again, you get back time when it comes to uh, mindful spending. As far as habits, mindful spending starts your journey to an unbudgeted life. Again, it's something that will take time to, to realize and, and figure out for yourself. Again, this is based on, you know, a lifestyle, really. So lifestyle man money management um, is what mindful spending is all about. So you want to make sure that, you know, as you go through this process, if it's a process you choose to go through, um, you really begin to understand how you break those habits in doing so. Um, again, I'm one to realize when and when I can't spend on certain items, but I don't make that a habit. When I do go out and decide that I'm going to splurge on an item, that's a one-time splurge, you know, maybe not once in a lifetime, but, you know, once in a year, I will give myself um, a gift of some sort, whatever that gift is. And I will tell myself in that moment, you know, this is it. This is the one big purchase for this year that I can make, you know, especially if it's not anything that I certainly need, you know, it's more of a want. And so that's what I try to look at splurging on things that I want just really once a year, you know, everything else. If I can't afford it, really, I don't get it. I know my father, he operates in a manner of, you know, if he can't pay it right off, you know, so let's say he uses a credit card. If he can't pay it off in that month, then he's not going to get it. And so that's another thing. Maybe we'll even talk about that, the benefit of credit cards at some point, because I, 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 I choose wisely on how I even use my credit cards when it comes to spending, um, because I believe in credit cards that give us privileges if you will so a lot of that includes airline points i like to travel I like to go places so i'm one that looks at credit cards as you know what's the benefit for me if i'm going to um, get this uh, certain credit card can i fly across the country can i fly across the world will i gain points in order to do so i don't necessarily look at those other credit cards you know get money back for spending at the pharmacy and all this that and the other i don't go to the pharmacy enough i don't go to walmart enough I don't go to some of these other stores enough. I'm not one to eat out a whole lot in fancy restaurants. So I'm not going to get my benefit or my gain from those types of credit cards. So, again, part of that is being mindful when it comes to spending and choosing how you spend. Credit card usage is part of that mindful spending habit that I know all of us are probably struggling with, especially in these times of inflation. These are the times that you really want to sit down and say, hmm, how can I do better with my money? If you're not budgeting, if you're not spending mindfully, you need to start somewhere. <laughs> you know, if you watch the news, pay attention to the news. There's talk about us going into a recession all over again. I know what that was like just going back 10, 12 years ago um, when we went through that recession and um, it was tough. You know, I was unemployed at the time. And so there was a lot of, um, you know, watching how my money was flowing. Even then, though, I was not budgeting and I probably should have. But I just couldn't. Again, it's not for me. I don't like it. I'm not into numbers like that. So, you know, as I begin to close this out, I would ask that you really begin to look at the tools around you when it comes to your own finances. Look at what your bank allows. Even some of the bigger banks now are starting to get to a point where they're allowing for you to create smaller accounts or additional accounts 
for the purpose of saving for travel or saving for a big purchase. Um, maybe you're saving for the Renaissance concert. I don't know. But begin to look at the tools that your bank is offering. And if you don't have a bank, get one. You know, there is nothing wrong. Stop living in the realm of, you know, keep your money in a mattress and this, that, and the other. Find out how your money can work for you. You know, maybe you don't want a bank. Maybe you want a credit union. There are options out there for you. And a lot of times you don't even have to go into a brick and mortar building these days. I can't tell you the last time I've actually walked into my bank, my um, big corporation bank, if you will, um, versus my Internet bank. The Internet bank, of course, doesn't have a building. But even going into the brick and mortar, sometimes they're charging you for little help for little things that you need help on. And so be mindful about where you are giving money back to just have your money managed. That's not a good thing. If you can do that on your own, if you can find a YouTube tutorial, then go that route. Again, I'm not saying budgeting is a bad thing. I'm just saying that it is not for me and perhaps it's not for you. And you didn't even realize there was another alternative until this moment. Now, with that said, that's really all I have for you this week. So be sure to like, subscribe and share this show. Please, again, like, subscribe and share this show, share this podcast. You can also begin following the show on Twitter by searching for BMU podcast. That's new, something new I'm trying to roll out, trying to cover all the corners when it comes to making sure that I promote this show properly. I want to hear from you. I want to share stories with you via Twitter. I want feedback, honestly, and I want to hear about what you're finding out when it comes to you know, news that is out there, things that you feel like should be brought to the audience when it comes to just mindfulness. And so I appreciate everyone for being here, listening, taking time out of your day to just see what I have to say. Also, again, can't say it enough. Be sure to like, subscribe and share this show. With that said, don't be afraid to be great this week. And until we speak again, please Please be kind to yourselves. Take care.